So we're going to continue our study into Acts, first part of chapter 19. And I wonder if you guys are anything like me, going to the grocery store is becoming very depressing. (laughs) I mean, it's just Ken and me. And when I get one little bag thing, a little, you know, and or actually I think it was two, but they weren't full and they weren't heavy, and it's a, over $100, that's a little discouraging. Um, or see, and I'm glad I don't have a cat. What is it with cat food? The cat, <laughs> it's all gone, isn't it? I mean, the dog food's okay, but the cat food was like completely wiped out. So... Um, it's, it, times are changing, and, um, and we can easily get discouraged by that, um, or we can take a deep breath, flowers and candles, and realize that God is the victor here, no matter what is going on. And as we look at the Acts of the Apostles, what they have done the 30 years after Christ's ascension and what was happening on this planet during that time, we can only step back and be amazed and in awe of what a great God he is. This, the book of Acts is a book of victory. It's a historical narrative of what was going on in those 30 years after Christ's resurrection. And it's documenting that time because that was a historical game changer, turning of events. I mean, it was a 180 in history when Jesus Christ came and rose again. And the world didn't, wasn't prepared for it. I mean, some of them were with John the Baptist and stuff, but this was the biggest, bestest news that could ever happen, that ever will happen, aside from us being in paradise for the rest of our lives. Um, It is the cusp of history, what we're reading about in this narrative of what was going on. And it was phenomenal and, and just incredible what was happening at this time. The gospel was spreading like wildfire. It was just going, and it was doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit, this new thing, this new teaching, incredible things. And we know that Paul wanted to go to Ephesus, and God delayed him on that, and now we're finding out in 19 he's bringing them back. He's bringing them back to Ephesus after he completed his vow. Remember, he cut his hair and he um, went to Jerusalem and offered it as a a sacrifice, an offering and stuff as he kind of rededicated his life or set himself aside wholly and it just empowered him to continue on. In the first verse of 19, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth on that continent, Paul passed through the inland country up, not by the seaside, but up around and came in in the northern end to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. He found a group of people up in there. Um, And we know that they're believers by the way this is phrased. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you 
believed. So that's saying that they believed, and he wanted to know if they received the Holy Spirit. And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. This group of people represent the final group of people that God is going to pull into the church. Okay? We know from John 17, and if you ever get discouraged, ladies, if you ever get discouraged, reading Jesus' prayer, that's the Lord's prayer right there in John 17, can be an uplifting, empowering peace of mind. Jesus, before his arrest, was talking to the Father. And he's talking and praying for himself, and he's prayed for the disciples, and then he prays for us. I'm not praying for them. I am, I am not I am praying for them, and I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, Judas. That was to fulfill scripture. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I concentrate and said that I pray for us two, that we will all be one. Jesus' prayer is to take all the people that God the Father has called to him to be his bride, the bride of Christ, and that we will be safe and we will glorify his name and that we will be unified. So as we look at Acts, we're seeing how this unification is being manifested and displayed We look back already, and we can look at chapter 2, Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? The apostles were there, right? And the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they were speaking in unknown languages because it was a big group of people from all over different dialects, different languages, and all of a sudden the gospel was being shared in people's own language. They didn't go to school to learn these languages, But they were speaking it because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we go to chapter 8, and those were just the Jews that were gathered in Jerusalem at that time. Then we go to chapter 8 into Samaria, and the Samaritans, half Jew, half Gentile, and that corrupted thing, a lot of tension with the Jews and the Samaritans. And what does God do there? He outpours his Holy Spirit on them, 
They become, well, they become believers with what Philip's telling them, and then Peter and John hear about it. They go there to Samaria, and they pray, and they baptize them, and the Holy Spirit falls on them, and then they also, the same sign of speaking in other languages. And it's like, whoa, gee, even the Samaritans are part of the church. And then we can go to chapter 10, and Peter... It's that vision as he, before he goes to Cornelius's house, who's a Gentile, and we know what happens there. The Spirit falls on them also, um, and they have a unifying, you know, while verse 44, and while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. So God is unifying his church, and he's doing it through the manifestation of the gift of the Spirit. That's their sign that they're all part of the church, all part of the body of Christ. Same miraculous gift that was given, an apostle was present all the time, it was unity. Before we keep going, I want to point out just in Ephesians 4, 4 to 5, it says, there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's harmony and it's unity. Satan's the big divider here. Satan's the one that's chaotic and divides and causes friction and hate. God unifies and loves and pulls it together. So let's carry on then. He finds this group of disciples, believers, and he asks them if they got in the Holy Spirit. Verse 3, and he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, and that is Jesus. So John's baptism was in preparation for Jesus. Two things needed to happen, repent and then accept. John says, repent. You've got to repent as he was preparing the way, okay? but you need to trust in the person of Jesus. Saying you're sorry and repenting for something and actually never doing it again is a fine first step. But if you leave it there and don't accept the fact that we have a Savior that died for us and completely removed all those wrongdoings from our life, then we're pretty still much lost, okay? So believing... And becoming a a Christian is repentance and then acceptance of Jesus Christ who paid the price for us. This is a problem today, a big problem today. You know why? Because most people believe that people, humankind, is basically good. We're basically good. I can't see a single face out there. You're all blur. So don't go like this. (laughs) Um, And if we are basically good, then there's no need for a Savior, is there? And that's where a lot of the world and the church teachings are today. 
the institutional church is that we're just a good person or feel good or have self-esteem. I get that a lot too. Self-esteem, feel good about yourself. Well, I only feel good about myself in the areas where I have yielded to Christ in my life. So this is the group that was there. And so what they represent, they represent a group of people that we're going to refer to as Old Testament saints. Old Testament saints. Whatever happened to those people in the Old Testament that believed there was a Messiah, believed God was going to provide a way out of their, you know, hell hole, and yet they didn't realize the cross. These people represent that group. Okay, the final group of people to pull them in. So what we have here in verse 5, and on hearing this, on hearing Paul tell them that John's baptism was also telling them that they have to believe in the one Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, which is a sign of fellowship and unity and pulling them in, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They were about 12 men in all, 12 men plus women and children with that group. So this, in the narrative here, is giving us the final group of people, Jews, Samaritans, Gentiles, and then before the cross, the Old Testament saints who believed in the Savior, Messiah, Jesus Christ, repented and believed in that, are all pulled into the church now, okay? They heard it. And Romans 10 says, and then how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching or telling them about Jesus? This, I think, also is because it's, it's proclaiming truth, it's proclaiming the gospel And that's how we tell people. I believe that's why the gift of tongues or speaking in the foreign languages was the powerful gift that was used at that time. Could have been healing, could have been anything, but it was the gift of speaking in a language that that person did not know um, because it's spreading the word. So the final group now has come into, in the plan of Acts here, God's plan is prevailing. He's collecting his people into his self. This is just a victorious thing in itself that these things are happening with this. His plan's unfolding. His prayer is being answered that he prayed to the Father in the garden. So Christ has conquered geographic boundaries, right? He just didn't stay in Jerusalem. He went out into Samaria and Judea, right? And then we have him crossing over into another continent, going over to Corinth. So it's spreading. So he's, he's, the gospel is conquering borders. It's also conquering ethnic boundaries. The gospel is also conquering over historical boundaries, going back to the Old Testament saints. And now's the time that God brings him to Ephesus to conquer what's going on there. Because this city is a 
foothold for Satan, occult practices, black magic. Satan is having a heyday there with all the stuff that's going on. And now's the time that he's going to bring Paul there. So, verse 8, and he entered the synagogue like he always does when he comes to a city. And he's there for three months and he's speaking boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. There's Paul with all his abilities as a, uh, uh, a, to, to do apologetics and speak things, talking to them, answering questions, dialoguing with them about the kingdom of God. And it's not just the kingdom of God that's going to come. It's, it's teaching them the things about Christ, about salvation, about what it is to be in God's kingdom, how to enter the sphere of salvation, and how to live there in communion with God, how to live in the kingdom of God with him as our king. All right. So he's there for three months. And what do we know so far from studying Acts? Whenever we preach the gospel, what do we have? Opposition. And we get opposition. Here they come. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, so these people were stubborn and they continued in their unbelief. This happened over time. Stubborn, hardened, their hearts became hardened, a process over time, because when the truth is repeatedly told to you, and you continue to reject it, what happens? Our hearts get hardened. And Romans 1 tells us about that God gives them over to their hardened hearts and their foolish ways. So, if you hear the truth, now's the day to respond to that, to yield to that. They continued in their disbelief. That's another way of saying they continue in their disobedience because we're commanded to believe to repent of our sins and to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. And we, we do not act on that. That's disobedience. It's refusing to repent, or if they do, it's half-hearted. Because belief is a divine commandment. We're told to believe in God. We're told to believe in having fellowship with him, and the only way to that is through Jesus Christ. And when we don't respond to that command, that's disobedient. And over time, our hearts become hardened. So this was going on, and after three months, there was this pushback. And so Paul withdrew from them, and he took the disciples with him. So he got to the point where he realized, okay, this might be causing more harm than not. They're just getting hardened hearts. And you know, you can tell. You can only push so far on somebody, and then it's time to... You know, like they say, shake the dust off your feet and move on. And where does God bring them? He brings them to a hall, um, Tyranius's hall. Now, Tyrus, Tyrus, Tyrant was kind of the word. One thing said that is maybe his students called him a tyrant. We don't know. Anyways, this man, this teacher owned a hall or a schoolroom. Let's look at it as that. It was a hall. It wasn't a synagogue. And so he goes there, and he continues there for two years, teaching 
the gospel, teaching the word of God for two years in this hall. He sets up basically a Christian school in Ephesus. And he would teach daily from about 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. every day. In this culture, because of the heat, that was a time of day between 11 and 4 when people would rest from their work. You'd get up very, very early and do work in the cool of the morning, and then you chill, fiesta, siesta, whatever it is. And then you, then you get up again about 4, and you go do some more chores. And you know, if you look at it, that's kind of when you feed animals, right? Where's June? Get up in the morning, we feed them, right? They're happy to see us. We're okay to be out there if we got enough clothes on because it's cold. Got to go feed the animals. And at the end of the day, we got to go feed the animals. Okay, this is what would happen here. In the middle of the day, people would take a break. But during that time, Paul was teaching. He was teaching daily the word of God. Okay, the truth was taught. And what does the scripture say here? So that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. That's a lot of people during this time, during these two years. All the people, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, when we get into chapter 20, it alludes to the fact that possibly Paul was also working at this time too. So he was getting up, doing tent making probably again, teaching and going back to his work. But the, the, the outcome of it was that God's word was being spread and this, this is the victory. This is what's supposed to happen. God's word spreading, the word of Jesus Christ spreading. Okay. Well, let's finally look at what's starting to happen here in Ephesus. He's got this Christian school. Everyone's hearing about the word of God. Meanwhile, Ephesus is a, a pit for satanic activity. Okay? Okay. But God is even going to triumph over evil and conquer that too. In verse 11, it says, And God was doing extraordinary miracles. Extraordinary miracles. Um, Unusual miracles is another translation of, of that word. God was doing these things, okay? So, whenever the gospel is taught... We have opposition, but we also know from studying Acts so far is whenever we have the gospel being taught, many times we'll have signs and wonders that come with it because it's like, wow, what just happened? I wonder about that. So it sounds to us like God's doing some magic stuff here. So just hang with me. So. He was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and, this, um, and the evil spirits came out of them. Okay? So this was going on. Now, is God into black magic? No. God is into meeting people where they're at. This was a city that the superstitious practices were very prevalent. People, that's just... They, they daily lived with that kind of stuff because Satan was deceiving them and stuff, everything. And so this was part of their life to have these little things and they take it home for the sick person and all that stuff and magical powers were in it or whatever. So when God's meeting these people where they're at, 
through Paul, who's speaking the truth, and they take this little hanky from him, and they go home, and these people are miraculously healed, that is giving credibility to Paul to open up their hearts to hear what Paul is going to be saying. Okay? God meets people where they're at, but he doesn't leave them there. He's got their attention. He's giving Paul, for this group of people with the superstitious you know, mindset, he's gotten into their world and is using that to bring direction, attention to the truth and what Paul is saying. Okay, so he's pulling people away from the lies by getting their attention first. Do you remember Moses? Do you remember Moses when he wanted when God was taking the people out? What did Moses do? What did God do through Moses with his staff? That became what a snake, right? And it ate up all Pharaoh's snakes. Okay, superstitious black magic or whoa, God's in charge of this stuff. It's the woe God's in charge of this stuff, isn't it? Okay. So this is what's happening here in in, um, Ephesus. All right. Satan's stronghold, and I'm I'm sure if they had spiritual eyes to see what was going on, Satan's getting really, really angry at this. Really, really angry with Paul and his special tissues. That's he'll come into the, the place, okay? So... A group of people, itinerant Jewish exorcists, which is just traveling around Jews that, you know, are going to do this magic stuff too, they undertake it and decide that they're going to do it themselves in the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. These seven sons of a Jewish high priest come in and they want to do this, and and the spirit that is in this man says this, I know, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Who are you? So they try to cast out this evil spirit from this man, but the spirit speaks back to him. The demons know their enemies. Paul was an enemy. Jesus is an enemy of them. But they don't waste effort knowing people that aren't a threat to them. They don't, not going to, doesn't matter to them. So this one madman took on seven men, pretty much overpowered them, and I don't know what the battle was, but they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Pretty humiliating stuff, isn't it? One man did that. I was watching a little clip just yesterday. Some woman got arrested down at the border for trafficking. And the head cam on the officer that was arresting her, the woman growled at them. Did you see that? Growled at them, wouldn't move. They were being very kind to her, wouldn't get into the van. And then did you hear the voice? Did you hear what it said in a man's voice? Hurt the lady. I want you to hurt the lady. So, Satan is a powerful thing that we don't want to just 
deal with unless we really know what we're doing. So, they run out and they're fled. And so what happens in verse 17? And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks. So everyone hears about what happened to these seven sons of Sceva that just got pretty much humiliated and laughed at. And yet the power of God was far more powerful than, you know, anything that Satan's going to come up with. And what did the people do? Fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. So this was going on. Um, and when it says confessing and divulging their practices, makes you believe that a lot of this stuff was done in secret, behind closed doors. It wasn't out in the open. People were just kind of trying to dabble with black magic and, you know, because Satan doesn't like the light on him like that. But they all confessed, okay? They had to. They were either going to side with Satan or God. There's no voids, remember. There's no neutral ground, okay? And so they were confessing the evil that they had done in secret, and they collected all of their their magic books and and paraphernalia, and they burned them in the sight of all, a public display of, I'm washing my life of all of this stuff, I'm cleaning house. Um, And they counted the value of them and found it to come to 50,000 pieces of silver. You know how much that is in today's world? I know this is a broad range, but I picked up something like one to five million dollars of trashy black magic paraphernalia that they burned, which cost those people something, didn't it? They could have hung on to some of it. Oh, man, I paid a lot for this. I really, this little omelet that I, you know, that I carry around in my back pocket to bring me good luck. I just don't know if I want to, you know what? But they were so convicted by what they had witnessed And they were so convicted by what they had heard Paul talk about because all of them heard of the gospel in that area. They all heard. And they saw this spiritual battle that was happening that they realized that the person they needed to yield and submit to was Jesus Christ, the one that Paul was teaching them. So Ephesus at this time had this spiritual cleaning out, cleaning house there. Okay? And Paul stays there. For a while, he stays in, in um, Ephesus for two years teaching. And verse 20 says this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Prevail mightily. Greater in strength and influence. The word of God grew and became powerful and was the influencing factor, the dominant force in Ephesus at that time. You read about Ephesus, you can go to Revelation and see that it's the first church of the seven churches that um, Christ is um, talking to. And there were a lot of good things about it, but they needed to return to their first love. There was an explosion of truth, an invincible might of God's power was in this area. And I just wanted, when I, when I got th- through and I was looking at that verse 
of what happened in this city, that <laughs> it's oh glorious victory that overcomes the world. He overcomes everything. We have nothing to be afraid of because he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. We have nothing to fear. Jesus will not let his children go and starve. He will take care of us. He will have ends meet. There, he, we are going to be, as these end times unfold, the light of the world. We have the answer. We have it. And we don't, you know, the song goes, don't let Satan poof it out or don't hide it under a, you know, or under the bed. We let it shine. We let the life of Christ in our hearts shine to people because we have the answer and we have the hope. And as the world grows more and more dark, that is what, that's why we're here. And to be honest with you guys, I'm, I'm glad that I live today. I'm glad that, let me see you now. There you are. Hey, everybody. That, that he has given us, as Esther says, for such a time as this, really, for such a time as this that we can live. And this word that we're studying here, and that we're going to study next year, and the next year, until he says no more, is something that we all need to do to get into the word of God and to live it. So I'm going to end in a prayer, and then we're going to sing the last verse of our song. God, help us to be bold. Help us to be courageous because we know that you will prevail. And we thank you that you have called us in to be a part of your plan a part of your body, a part of your church, and that you are taking care of us. We love you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen.